Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. And this is a weekly history podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. And happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble. This episode actually comes out on Thanksgiving. It's like one of the, because it's one of the few holidays that lands on a Thursday. Right. Much like our podcast. Yes. It's it's always a holiday when you get to listen to us on <laughs> Every <a> Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> Every Thursday. <laughs> so for this week's presidential trivia. Yes. Which, which president let... A turkey go first. No. Oh. I actually don't have a Thanksgiving trivia. I like what? really dropped the ball on that. I'm I pretty know. sure we... Wasn't it the what, the president with the raccoon? Well, Calvin Coolidge... Didn't he start that tradition? No, it had started before him. I want to say JFK was the first to pardon, to kind of give a pardon, and then it wasn't till. Ronald, no, it was either Ronald Reagan or George Wait, H. So, w. So the Coolidge was the one, was the one with the raccoon. Yes, he was given a raccoon to eat for Thanksgiving, and, and he, he said no it. thanks. He pardoned it, kind of. It wasn't like the official thing yet, yeah. though. Yeah. Okay. I want to say it was Ronald Reagan who gave the first official official presidential pardon. Presidential pardon for a turkey. All right. Is either him or H. W. Bush. Oh really? That's yeah. it's that new of a it's tradition. It's that new, huh? So, somebody write in if they remember that, because that was our trivia for last Thanksgiving. That oh, was it. I'm pretty sure, or it was last Thanksgiving's episode. I'm gonna have to go back and and listen. Give her give her an old listen when we're on the car ride. Yeah, but I think JFK he like gave a pardon, but it didn't become tradition until Reagan or Bush. Yeah. So it's a very it's actually a very new tradition. Yeah. But no, this... America, she's full of surprises. This week's trivia is, which president was given a speeding ticket for driving his horse-drawn carriage too fast? Oh, jeez. Who looks like a speed demon to you? Grant. Grant? Yeah. That's a really good guess. Yeah? Yeah. How good of a guess? It's a a pretty good guess. (laughs) Is it right? It's a pretty good guess. (laughs) I'll tell you if you're right or not at the end of this episode. (laughs) A little add-on to our theme song this week. Yeah, a little little flair at the end there. In the summer of 1614, Captain John Smith, the oh, same wow. John Smith from Pocahontas, Disney movie. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, that guy. Are you sure? How sure that? There's well, probably a lot of John Smiths. I want to I say it's the guy that was um, based off of, but very loosely. Um, okay. He was, unlike the cartoon, mm-hmm. he was not tall, blonde, and sounded like Mel Gibson. He uh, was actually... <laughs> <laughs> he was actually very short uh-huh. and had um, a huge red beard. Oh, nice. Yeah. But they used the same name. It was based off this guy, the yeah. cartoon was. Yeah. So Captain John Smith arrived with his ship to the coast of the New World to fish and barter for furs. A group from the Patuxet tribe went out to meet Smith and his crew. The tribe gave Smith a tour of their village and the surrounding gardens, orchards, and maize fields. 
At some point, it seemed like Smith hinted at staying with the Patuxet for an extended time, and an argument broke out between the two groups. The Patuxet were like, no, you are not going to stay here with us. Yeah. You're being nice, but you got to leave. Yeah, you have overstayed your welcome. Already. Um, then some bows were drawn. It's really not sure like how heated the argument got, but we know that bows were drawn. And... Um, Though tensions eventually eased, and Smith was able to return to his ship safely. Smith created a map of what he had seen of the New World's coast and delivered the map to Prince Charles when he returned to England. Prince Charles was pleased with the map and allowed Smith to give British names to all of the native settlements he had found. Where Smith had encountered the Patuxet, he gave the name Plymouth and the surrounding area New England. Mm. Smith had left his lieutenant, Thomas Hunt, in Maine to load another ship with the dried fish they had caught. Hunt decided that he would like to revisit the Patuxet. When he arrived, he invited some of the tribe members aboard the ship to look around and do some trading. Hmm. Once the Patuxet came aboard, the sailors aboard tried to push them into the hold. Patuxet fought back, but Hunt and his men began shooting at the Patuxet and caused what was later described as a great slaughter. Nineteen Patuxet survivors remained, and they were forced below deck, including a young Patuxet man named Tisquantum. Hunt made another stop in Cape Cod, where he kidnapped seven Nosset tribe members and then set sail for Europe. Okay. So there's a lot of Native Indian tribe names and, like, people's names in this episode, mm-hmm. and I just want to apologize to anybody I think you've done, for getting those wrong you've done you've done all right so far i've tried to uh i tried to look up pronunciations but i'm really bad with just english words <laughs> and i grew up an english-speaking person <laughs> yes <laughs> so just apologize beforehand i'm trying and just feel free to correct me and you know an email if i'd got something terribly terribly wrong or record it or yeah, make a YouTube video. Yeah, <laughs> send it to us. Or let me know if I some if I got something right on accident. That would be great too. Well, small wins in yeah. 2020. That's yeah. what we need. That's what I need. After Hunt left, the Wampanoag tribe, which was the tribal confederation the Patuxet belonged to, and the Nauset vowed to never let foreigners land on their shores again, mm-hmm. and declared war on any Europeans that dared to come near their villages. Uh oh. Two years later, a French ship wrecked on Cape Cod. The survivors built a crude shelter with a defensive wall. The Nauset picked off the sailors one by one until there were only five sailors left. Mm -hmm. Those five were then captured and sent to other tribes that had their people stolen by Europeans. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a... Tip for tat. Yeah. When another French ship anchored in the Boston Harbor, the Massachusetts Massachusetts tribe killed everyone aboard the ship and then lit the ship on fire. They weren't playing around. Yeah. Instead of going to England, Hunt stopped in Malaga, Spain, in order to sell dried fish, furs, and his human captives. Hunt only sold a few of the captives before a local Roman Catholic priest stepped in and stopped the sale. The Spanish church was extremely opposed to the brutality against Native Indians. Right. Pope Paul III had issued a proclamation that stated Indians themselves indeed are true men and should not be deprived of their liberty and reduced to our service like brute animals. The priest took the men and offered them safety in exchange for converting to Christianity. (laughs) Though it's not 
sure if he actually got any of them to convert. But convert, convert. Of course, they said yes. Like, yeah. To at least get out of the situation they were in. Yeah, at the time. Yeah. Quantum asked the priest to let him try to return home, and the priest agreed. He's like, yeah, just do whatever you want. Yeah. Tisquantum made it to London, where he stayed with a shipbuilder named John Slaney. Slaney had investments in Newfoundland, and Tisquantum asked and Tisquantum asked Slaney to arrange him passage on a fishing vessel headed to North America. While waiting to leave, Slaney taught Tisquantum English while allowing people to come gawk at Tisquantum for their own entertainment. Hmm. That was kind of Tisquantum's rent. Right. He had to just let people come and ooh and awe at him. Yeah. And I believe this was also the same time that Pocahontas was in England as well. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm not sure if they ever met. There's an article debating if they had ever crossed, crossed paths, paths, and yeah. I don't know if they ever actually did. Yeah. Tisquantum was finally able to leave England on the fishing ship, but when he arrived back in North America, they anchored in a British fishing camp in Newfoundland, a thousand miles away from the Patuxet. Uh, He's like, well, we're on the right piece of land, kind of. (laughs) Yeah, ish. Yeah, we're on the right continent. Yeah, right hemisphere. Yeah. And those thousand miles contained sharp, rocky coastlines and feuding tribes (laughs) that would make the journey very perilous. (laughs) Tisquantum didn't really feel like walking. No, I wouldn't either. (laughs) Yeah, why take you to walk a thousand miles? So long. Uh. So he began to ask around for a ship that could take him to Patuxet. Tisquantum mm-hmm. finally caught the attention of Thomas Dermer, who worked for Captain John Smith. Dermer was interested in a reward he could get from the Patuxet for returning one of their own back to them. Dermer made arrangements for Tisquantum with Ferdinando Gorges, a British nobleman that had tried to establish a settlement in Maine in 1607, but failed due to the local natives attacking the colony. Mm-hmm. So, Tisquantum and Dermer sailed back to England. I have a feeling this doesn't end well for the European. <laughs> for the European? For yeah. Dermer? Yeah. I'm assuming he's European. Oh, yeah. I think he's English. Yeah. Um, so, they go back to England, where he just came oh, from. <laughs> That's God. what I'm saying. <laughs> All the way back to England. He basically... So, he was in Patuxet, was six weeks, at least on a ship, to Spain... Then made it to England. Then six weeks on a ship to Newfoundland. Now six weeks back on a ship back to England. Oh my gosh. That's a lot of time on a boat. Yeah. Um, so they get back to England to meet with Gorges, who then provided them a fresh ship to sell to Mainin. So they're back on a ship, headed bar- back towards Maine. Tisquantum was... To- <laughs> He's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tisquantum was to serve as Dermer's interpreter while Dermer traded with the tribes there. Hmm. When Tisquantum and Dermer reached Maine, Tisquantum was shocked by what he saw. Where there had once been a coastline filled with thriving native communities, there was now only overgrown fields and deteriorating homes filled with skeletons. Oh no. Plague. Yeah. Finally, Tisquantum spotted a small group of families that were living in a crumbling village. They told Tisquantum that one of the French sailors that had been taken captive by the Nosset tribe cursed them and gave them a disease that spread through the villages very quickly. Mm. It was more than likely viral hepatitis that spread through contaminated food. The native Indians began to die in heaps as they lay in their houses. Wow. 
In panic, the villagers began to flee their homes and unknowingly spread the virus to each community they ran to. Right. The epidemic started in 1616, basically right after Tisquantum left, was kidnapped. And by 1619, 90% of the people along the coast of New England were dead because Mm. of it. Wow. 90%. That's crazy. Yeah. Mm. Like, that's the thing is, like, when Captain John Smith first made it to New England, like, there was huge villages of, like, thriving people. And, like, all these different, like federations and all of these things and then by the time that like Tisquantum is back they're basically have been gone yeah they've been Ruins. decimated yeah yeah there's just ruins left yeah. <laughs> Tisquantum was now the only surviving member of his village because the family he was trying to return to were now gone with all of his family his friends mm-hmm. are dead Tisquantum went to southern Maine with Dermer he was like well because there's nothing for me here yeah Nothing to go back to. Yeah. However, he was not welcomed by the other Europeans here. Basically, the Europeans were like, oh, he's an Indian. We yeah. don't trust him. Right. So they basically kicked him out. Huh. So he decides to go back to his Patuxet village okay. in Massachusetts. I thought you were going to say Europe, England. No. <laughs> no, Jeez. he doesn't go back. He decides he's, he's like... He's gotten kind of used to riding on a boat now, yeah. huh? He's like, you know what? I'll just go back to where I grew up. At least if nobody... At least to be where... If nobody knows me, at least I'll be on the land where I grew up. And right. I know how to work it. Right. And all of that stuff. Yeah, it's familiar. Yeah. So he starts out on foot, back to his homeland, because nobody's going to give him a boat ride. Yeah. While on his journey, Tisquantum was taken prisoner by the Wampanoag and sent to Massasoit the Sachem of the Wampanoag Confederacy, as a prisoner. So basically they're like, oh, this guy's been hanging out with the English. We can't trust him. Even though he basically Just got ostracized from the... Yeah. So now everybody doesn't trust him. Poor poor Tecumseh. (laughs) Tisquantum. Tisquantum. Yeah. Who's who's Tecumseh? Tecumseh is later on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He was a really important chief later on, though. Okay. To keep from being killed by a Massasoit, Tisquantum tried to convince him that he could help Massasoit become friends with the English, which could then help defeat his enemies, the Naragonset. Massasoit decided not to take Tisquantum up on the offer, but kept him under house arrest instead of killing him. Hmm. He was like, hey, you might be valuable. You do speak English, yeah. but I don't trust you. Yeah. I don't really want to become friends with the English quite yet. Yeah. A few months later, in December, a group of English landed near the abandoned Patuxet village, which they dubbed Plymouth Colony. Massasoit mm. decided not to interfere with them. Instead, he decided to see how they fared on their own first. The pilgrims did not bring any cows, sheep, mules, or horses, though there is some indication that they might have brought pigs. But that's about it, as far as Yikes. animals. Yeah. The pilgrims had planned on farming, but it was the middle of winter when they landed. They literally landed in Massachusetts in the in middle the of December. Yeah. yeah I've, been to Bo- I've been in Boston in the wintertime. It's, it's, uh, it's a little chilly there. It's cold. It's a little chilly. <laughs> the pilgrims tried to fish, but the fishing gear that they had brought was not productive for fishing off the coast of New England. Yeah. Oh, they just brought all their... Uh... Just brought all their flies for their uh, small stream. <laughs> yeah. 
Fly fishing. Huh? Yeah. They didn't bring their saltwater gear. Exactly. In order to keep from starving, the pilgrims began robbing the abandoned native Indian homes and their graves for any stashes of food that they might find. Yikes. Now there's all these empty homes. They're like, well, might as well just take stuff from this abandoned village. Yeah. And they basically deemed... The pilgrims basically said that the virus that had wiped out these villages was a blessing from God and was like a sign that they were supposed to be here and this land was supposed to be theirs. What? Yeah. Jesus. White people logic. Yeah. Is that a a tag on Twitter? I mean, I'm sure it is. Should be. (laughs) If not, we'll start it. (laughs) So... They did find ten about ten bushels of maize and brought it back to the Mayflower to cook it. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. So that that helped a lot. Oh, I mean, don't have anything when they don't really have anything else. Don't have anything to go with it, so it's going to get old really fast. Yeah, I guess it beats starving. Yeah. Well, so they brought it back to the Mayflower to cook it in a big metal kettle that they also found in the village and invented popcorn. (laughs) That'd be amazing. Is that where we're going with this? No. And that's the story of popcorn, the end. <laughs> uh, only half of the 102 people that had arrived at Plymouth on the Mayflower in December survived mm. the winter. Mm. So now there's only about 50 people alive. Yeah. The corn only fed, 50. fed about 50 people. How many people did the 50 people feed? 50 people? <laughs> Who's to say? Yeah, <laughs> probably. During the winter, the pilgrims sometimes caught glances of the Wampanoag around the edges of the woods. The pilgrims took five small cannons from the Mayflower and put them in defensive positions in case the Wampanoag did attack. That I know nothing about. Defensive measures? Yeah. Well, these people, they're, they, just, they left because of religious persecution. Yeah. They really didn't know anything about farming. Yeah. They didn't know anything about the yeah, but woods. But people are literally dying off. They didn't know anything about fishing. And they don't know anything li- about fighting. These people no. were like the least qualified. qualified to be starting a colony. <laughs> All of these people see, should have died. See, and that's, in my opinion, like when we, you know, there was just recently, I say recently, in the past few years, a big search to find the first people to go colonize Mars. Yeah. And I think we did it all backwards. We're investing too much time into the first few people. We need to just get a, you know, get a method for, for getting people to Mars first. And then we can start, you know, once we've got that fine tin, then we can start sending the start more qualified folks to to go colonize Mars. Who Who do you think would be the best type of person to colonize Mars? People who just want to, like... I don't know, like, just. Do you think it should be, like, one of those, like. I don't think it needs to be, like, a scientist. Well, I was like, I'm thinking, like, what about one of those people that, like, moves to Alaska all by themselves yeah. just because of the challenge of it? I yeah. think, like, th- like those people are the people yeah, you need to be right, sending. Right. Because they don't care about spending time with other people. Right. And they just live, like, their main, like, yeah, goal main, is yeah. just to, like, see how hard they can live. Right, right. Like, that's what I mean. That's what I, like, people, somebody who's, like, I think like, in my mind, I, like, picture somebody who's, like, very outdoorsy, just loves doing stuff with their hands, and you know, they're gonna be more qualified than any, like, astronaut scientist that we try to send, really. I mean, yeah. because you know what are those people they they get a doctorate degree in such a finite like specific subject sure i mean the only thing is that like when you send people to mars you are going to need those really smart people 
that know how things work because there's Oh, you mean the spaceship? What is it, rocket science? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, literally is rocket science. Ah, (laughs) They could literally teach monkeys to do it. (laughs) I've seen pictures. Have you? (laughs) Yes. A dog. It's a dog. And a goldfish. (laughs) Well, they went to space. They weren't working on the spaceship. Mm, Weren't they? Who was then? Who was? Touche. Touche. Anyways... Pilgrims should have died. Goldfish, astronaut. That's what I'm saying. Pilgrims should have died. They like yeah. least qualified people to yeah. move to the Americas. Yeah. So maybe they are like the astronaut scientists that we are someday. Except these people were like weren't they are, outdoor. Though. These people weren't outdoorsy people. Right. Like I'm saying. Neither are the astronaut scientists. Oh. Yeah. They are I, the pilgrims. Uh, it, it's different. It's still different. No. I don't agree with you there. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think I think that at least astronauts would at least try to study and read about it. I don't think these pilgrims did any studying. They're just praying to God. Even they were even like John Smith like tried to sell them his map. He's like, "Hey, I've been there," and they're like, "Nah, we got it. Hmm. We're fine." Like they didn't try. Hmm. Like it'll work out. Hmm. That part. Ah, so they were lazy. Yeah, that's what yeah, it was. Yeah. They were lazy. They just didn't want to do the homework. Yeah. Yeah, definitely don't want people that don't want to do any homework. Right, right. You got to find a happy middle there yeah, somewhere. Yeah, for sure. That March, Samoset, a chief of the Wampanoag's allied Abenaki tribe, walked into the Pilgrim's crude settlement. Samoset only wore loincloth, and his black hair was shaved in front, but was so long that it flowed down his shoulders in the back. And when the Pilgrims saw him, they're like, that's a good-looking dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, Whoa. Look at that guy. That's a fine male specimen right there. Yeah. Samoset greeted the pilgrims in broken English that he had learned by dealing with English traders. Samoset talked with the pilgrims for a while and left the next morning with small gifts that the pilgrims had given him. A few days later, Samoset came back with Masasawit and Tisquantum. Masasawit wanted to make a treaty with the pilgrims in order to keep the Naragonset from attacking his people, and he used his quantum as his translator. Hmm. They talked with the pilgrims for bo- for about an hour while sharing some of the pilgrims' moonshine. Hmm. So you know it was a good time. Yeah. A little bit of a party. Yeah. At least the pilgrims knew how to make moonshine. Yeah. That's why so many people died. They turned all the maize into moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> They didn't use it for food? They didn't use it for food. Just alcohol. Mm. Masasawit had to squantum tell the pilgrims that they would leave them alone and return for assistance with the Naragan set. When Masasawit and Samoset got ready to leave, Tisquantum decided to stay with the pilgrims. Rather than go back to being a prisoner, Tisquantum decided to make himself invaluable to the pilgrims so that he could stay. They began to call him by a new nickname, Squanto. Mm. From where have I heard that from? Squanto. Probably every time you learned about the first Thanksgiving and pilgrims nah, and school, you learned about the friendly Indian Squanto. Ah. I think it's because originally to Squantum, which probably wasn't. It's really, it was just him playing both sides. So what I was because like neither side wants him. But yeah. neither both sides do at the same time. Yeah. Like so, I was going to say about his new nickname, Squanto, which I'm not really sure what it means, but I know Tisquantum, which probably was not given to him at birth, basically means wrath of God. Oh, really? They're like that's a little harsh. 
our new friend. <laughs> we don't really want to accept you here, Wrath of God. <laughs> so how about we call you Squanto? Yeah. Squanto taught the pilgrims how to fertilize the soil using fish and how to plant beans and squash in a mound that surrounded the maze to help it all grow better. Hmm. While teaching the pilgrims how to how to survive in New England, Squanto was also working on his own self-interest. Squanto had made contact with some of his distant relatives and wanted to reestablish the Patuxet village with them. Squanto then wanted to make the new Patuxet the new center of the Wampanoag Federation, which would take the Sachem ship away from Massasoit and give it to Squanto. Hmm. So he's like working on basically rebuilding his, his tribe empire. with him as the chief. Yeah. Yeah. Squanto began to sow seeds of mistrust between Masasawit and the pilgrims, telling each of them that the other was stashing weapons and planning a future attack, and convincing both that he was the only thing keeping the peace. <laughs> so he'd also be like, hey... Creating, you making himself more powerful. Yeah. He'd, and sometimes he'd be like, hey, you should give me gifts that I can give to them so they don't attack you. And so then he was like amassing like a little bit of wealth... Yeah. A little bit of power. Yeah. He's the only one that speaks uh, both. Squanto. Oh, Squanto. They should have heeded the warning to come to... To... Can't say his full name now. To Squanto? To Squanto. That fall, the pilgrims celebrated their first fall harvest by the militia repeatedly firing off their muskets into the air. Ah, yes. <laughs> Nothing to soothe tensions like <laughs> yeah. firing of rifles. Right. Muskets. Hearing all of the commotion, the Wampanoag thought that the pilgrims were threatening them. And, like, finally they've been hearing Squanto, like, keep being like, oh, they're going to attack. And then they hear all this gunfire, like, oh, this is it. Here it comes. So, Massasoit and 90 of his warriors arrived at Plymouth in response. Mm -hmm. After realizing that the pilgrims were not trying to mount an attack, but just celebrating, being probably drunk and just, yeah... <laughs> Firing their guns into the air. Yeah. Uh, I've enjoyed that a time or two. <laughs> and that they were hosting a feast. Masasawit decided to invite himself and his warriors to the party. Nice. Before. As one does when you were summoned to a battle. Yeah. And then later determined it was just yeah. a feast. Oh, cool. Well, Don't mind if I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they did bring... Where's them. that punch at you guys had last <laughs> yeah. time? Before feasting, Masasawit and his men went out and killed five deer that they contributed to the feast. Oh, so geez. it wasn't all just veggies. Nice. The natives brought their the meat. Yeah. So they didn't have turkey at the first Thanksgiving, but they did have a lot of deer. Nice. The pilgrims feasted with and entertained the Wampanoag for three days in what is now widely considered the first Thanksgiving. In the spring of 1622, Squanto left with a delegation of pilgrims to Boston Harbor to attempt to make a treaty with the Massachusetts tribe. Squanto had one of his family members inform the pilgrims of an impending attack from the Narragansett, and Massasoit, right after he... Sorry, this is confusing. Squanto had one of his family members go to the pilgrims right after Squanto left with the delegation. Yeah. And his family member was supposed to tell the pilgrims that Massasoit had teamed up with the Narragansett to attack the pilgrims. Yeah. And Squanto had his family member do this right after he left, so it didn't seem like he was... The one doing it. Yeah, he wasn't meddling with it or lying. Mm -hmm. When Governor Bradford heard about the attack, he had a cannon fired, which signaled to the delegation to return back home. So now Squanto's on his way back home. Anyways. 
At the same time, Bradford also sent the wife of one of Masasowitz's trusted advisors to Masasowitz's home to find out what was going on with the supposed attack. The wife returned that all was quiet in Masasowitz's home and there was no attack being put together. Hmm. When Masasowitz heard about Squanto's plan to get the pilgrims in Wampanoag and Wampanoags to essentially kill each other off, mm-hmm. he demanded that the pilgrims hand Squanto over so that he could be executed. Nice. The pilgrims declined to give Squanto up, though. Despite all of his scheming and shenanigans, yeah. he was still too valuable as a translator to be killed off. He finally found people that want to keep him around. Yeah. <laughs> it's the pilgrims. Yeah, Squanto, quit trying to kill your friends. Yeah. Masasowit even offered a large amount of furs for Squanto's head, but the pilgrims refused again. So Masasowit cut off all contact with the pilgrims. Squanto was only safe while with the pilgrims due to the bounty on his head. However, when Bradford decided to go to Cape Cod to negotiate on a pact, Squanto went with him. On their way back home, Squanto came down with a serious illness, began to bleed out of his nose, and he died a few days later. Squanto was buried in an unmarked grave, and his belongings were divided up between his pilgrim friends. And that is the story of Desquantum, or Squanto, and the first Thanksgiving. Nice. Poor dude just never... Never made it. Never really had a chance. Mm-hmm. Do you think if he... They just made it all that time in a boat just probably made him really bitter. Yeah. But it made me bitter. You know. And then you come me- home and you find like your family's like dead. Yeah. Because of a disease that was spread by the... Europeans. Right. Well, and I also wonder, though, if he had never been kidnapped, if he would have survived the epidemic because he went to Europe and didn't die. Right. From catching something. Yeah. So, like, so I wondered have... if he would have just still been the only yeah. Patuxent member of his family alive even through after the epidemic. Mm-hmm. Either way, his life was not going to turn out. Very well. No. He was almost doomed from the beginning, unfortunately. Yeah. But because of him, the pilgrims survived. Yeah. <laughs> and they then they grew in numbers. And then they basically, the English took over all of New England. And then, do 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 And there's the United States of America. And here we are. <laughs> 2020. Yeah. And here we are today. Right. Another epidemic. Right. Just all full circle. Right. It's crazy. Um, My sources for the story are Native Intelligence by Charles C. Mann, Squanto, The True Story of the Native American Behind the First Thanksgiving by Gina DeMuro, A Man Without a Tribe, The True Story of Squanto by Paula Peters. And I have to say it was hard to find, like, a lot of resources for this. Sure. Just because I wanted to find books, but a lot of the books were, like picture books and books written for children that just told the same story that we had been told right. in elementary school. Right. And I was like, this is not what I want. I want like a real yeah. edu- like educational researched like, paper. Like a peer-reviewed article. Yeah. <laughs> um, presidential trivia. Yes. So which president got pulled over? For speeding in his horse-drawn carriage. Grant. And it was Grant. Yeah. That's the first one. (laughs) You got it. How many episodes is this? This is 60. 
This is number 60. This is number 60. What? I am one for 60, America. <laughs> you watch out. He's coming I am for you. Learning, I am learning something about presidents. <laughs> uh, um, you've come a long way I've since come. guessing Benjamin Franklin was a president. Thank you for yep. reminding everybody. <laughs> Appreciate that. You're growing. So Ulysses S. Grant was given a speeding ticket for driving his horse-drawn coach too fast in D.C. This is like while he was the president. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. When the cop realized... Like, don't they know? Realize, yeah, those are not like a presidential... Well, so he's just in a carriage. The mm-hmm. cop pulls him over. Mm-hmm. and But then he realizes that he pulled over the president. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'll take back the ticket. <laughs> And Grant said, no, I was speeding. You caught me. I'll pay the ticket and hand him $5 and just paid like right there and there. Dang. Nice. And that was definitely not the first time he had gotten a speeding ticket. Oh, really? It was kind of Grant's thing. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So. Do you have any updates for us this I, week? I do. This is an update to episode 38, The Big Lazy. Okay. So that episode we explored hookworms. Yes. And I was listening on the radio today and heard a, got to hear kind of basically some more about it. Um, uh, Catherine Coleman Flowers. She is a MacArthur Fellow, um, class of 2020, and that she is basically advocating for, um, um, you know, rural development and um, she's studying the issues, the ongoing issues that still exist today with hookworms in the South um, due to poor infrastructure and, you know, lack of sanitation facilities sure. and that sort of thing. So, I don't know, I just thought it was pretty cool. I got to hear her talk a little bit. Um, she's affiliated with the Center for Rural Enterprise and Environmental Justice. Nice. Um, she she basically just works to identify issues and 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 solutions for communities that have poor infrastructure that just doesn't meet standards. So, um, uh, yeah. That's a good update. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering if there was any updates on that since we do know that it, hookworms are starting to become a big yeah. issue right. in the South again. Right. Yeah. So she, in 2019, she published an article Flushed and forgotten sanitation and wastewater in rural communities in the United States. And that's like, it's like, you know, like we talked about, it was, it's one of those issues that you don't really know it exists unless it's you live in it. Right. I right. mean, so, um, she's doing a lot of great work. Thank you, Catherine. And, uh, hopefully she just is, uh, able to gain some traction with it and, and help, help those communities get, uh, um, some better resources. Actually, I'm going to tell a quick story that she told. Okay. She said that she was, you know, sometimes like the systems were more complex than just like a, a trench that people had dug in their yards. Some people would actually try to use some some type of plumbing concepts, piping and stuff to get the sewage Away out into the yard homes. and into the ground and that sort of thing. Yeah. So kind of at least be filtered by the soil. But the southern soils were very clay, from my understanding. But uh, she was just talking about how in one of these holes, they came upon this property. And it was kind of one of the more complex systems, but it still was just a hole in the ground, essentially. 
and it was so weird to for her to see. She said, I saw two frog eyes kind of poking out of the sewage waste. And she was just like, I, there was just something about that whole situation that, you know, it's just like, it's so odd, you know, and, and strange that. Anyways. Especially people like having to create their own sewage systems because yeah. their communities aren't doing it for them. Right. And they're trying to yeah, be they're, safe. Right. And so right. they're just having to figure it out for themselves. Right. Or, yeah. Or they don't have the abilities to, to actually, you know, develop a septic system. Like, right. you know, most like, you know, your parents had, like I had growing up, which was a, you know, in a system designed for that. But, right. But those are expensive yeah. and they're really expensive. Yeah. And, you don't have the money for them. You or just the kind equipment. Of, I mean, yeah. it's not like somebody you can just, I mean. Yeah, even if you can just head, buy yeah. the parts. Yeah. yeah, you can't just put it in yourself. That's yeah. why, another reason why it's so expensive. You have to yeah. find somebody with the proper equipment to put it in for you. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, well, anyways, just shedding some more light on some of those, you know, economic issues, socioeconomic issues that are still ongoing today and have been ongoing for Quite a while, really. Yep. So. And just, I know a big part, I mean, I know a huge part is the sewage, and the worst part is when their sewage is coming into their homes, because right. one of the huge things back in the, when we talked about the episode, was they're yeah. like, just wear shoes. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, so you're wearing shoes constantly when you're inside of your own home, Yeah. too? Yeah. But crazy. So, yeah. on that note... <laughs> Hope you guys have lots of yummy food to eat yeah. this Thanksgiving. For, oh, yeah. Sorry for talking about poop on Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Poop and parasites on yeah. Thanksgiving Day yeah. right before. Yeah. Every- Cook your turkey. <laughs> yeah. I hope you didn't listen to that, like, while you're making your food or yeah. right, right before you're sitting down to yeah. dig yeah. in. Yeah. But we hope you guys have lots of yummy food, and we hope you guys have a safe Thanksgiving. And a healthy Thanksgiving. And until next time, stay stay weird, weird, America. America.